Berkeley Yeast is back again with Sunburst Chico, the yeast you love now with a sunny burst of pineapple. This strain was bioengineered to produce ethyl esters, fragrant flavor compounds that give your beer a distinctive kick of fresh pineapple. Perfect for tropical West Coast IPAs, pale ales, and tiki-style summer crushers. Mention this podcast for 15% off your next order of Sunburst Chico when you visit berkeleyyeast.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Do you know Britannomyces yeast? Brett is wild, unpredictable, gives funky notes to beer, and evolves over time. Historically, it's been used with zero control, but Fermentus has harnessed it. Discover Saf Brew BR8, the first dry bread in our lineup, now available in 100 grams and 5 grams. Learn more at fermentus.com. What you're about to hear originally aired in August of 2019. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. Earlier indicators would be those loss of thiols and, and color development through polyphenol oxidation. Um, those are going to be your, your first early indicators that you are seeing this oxidation on the hot side. If you are seeing teak formation, that, that definitely is an indication that you have, have too much air being introduced early in your process. This week on the show, Joe Williams, the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company endowed brewer at UC Davis, talks about hot side aeration. Joe, we're talking about hot side aeration today, which is often referred to as HSA in the literature. If you ask a room full of brewers whether or not hot side aeration matters, you'll probably get a variety of answers, right? Correct. Um, and, and a lot of this comes from, from literature. Um, if you read through literature, uh, you'll find articles that say uh, it does matter, and you'll find articles that say it doesn't matter. Um, and, and so it, it does lead to a little bit of confusion. Um, and so we do need to put it in, in context and talk about how scale impacts all of this. What are some of the reasons a, a brewer might want to limit HSA? Sure. So if you look at it, kind of literature, there, it breaks it down as to kind of some of the, the negatives of, of hot side aeration. And, and so we can kind of start thinking of whether some of these things matter and, and whether we should really be concerned about them. Um, so if you look through the list uh, um, kind of put out by, by Kuntz and technology of malting and brewing, um, it looks at, it says that 
minimizing uh, hot side aeration will lead to um, increased degradation of beta-glucan and with it starch degrade degradation is improved so that's a good thing we do want to uh, limit hot side aeration for that reason uh, it says the attenuation limit is higher uh, you do see that loudering is uh, faster and it is more complete uh, wort color and beer colors are paler Beer taste is less coarse, um, and it's also said that flavor stability is improved. Um, some of these things uh, are arguable, I would say, um, depending on the scale, um, but some of them are, are definitely true and are reasons for limiting hot side aeration. Let's dive a little deeper into flavor stability. Which types of reactions are relevant here? Sure. Um, so the, it, there's been a couple of different things proposed as to kind of how limiting hot side aeration would minimize flavor change and, and improve flavor stability. Um, one of them is is that it would limit the amount of uh, unsaturated fat or acids that are oxidized, either enzymatically through lipoxygenase or non-enzymatically. Um, but there are LOX-free malts that are out there, and, and so even with that, you don't see much change. So that's kind of questionable. Um, the other one is keeping thiols in the sulfhydryl form so that they don't contribute to redox mechanisms. Um, and so these sulfhydryl residues can, can lose the hydrogen and, and form uh, redox sinks. Um, and the other thing you can do is you can minimize the loss of polyphenols and preserve their antioxidant effect, um, lending flavor stability downstream. We talked about lipoxygenase or LOX back on episode 129 with Dr. Aaron and Dr. Yin. We also know, as you just mentioned, that LOX-free malt is available. And we've heard from our conversations with Joe Hertrick how LOX is easily destroyed on the kiln uh, if your base malt color specs aren't too low. So I guess it's pretty clear that HSA can do a lot of damage in a brew house when LOX is present. But what about when it's not? Sure. Um so even without LOX present, um, you still can get a conversion of these fatty acids to um, trans to nonal or E2 nonal. Um, and the way this happens is by um, a reactive oxygen species actually pulling um, an electron off of, uh, sorry, pulling a hydrogen off of the unsaturated fatty acids. Um, and it leaves it in a way that, or in a state that it can go on and form a carbonyl. Um, and so this, this can happen if you have reactive oxygen species present. Um, and you are going to have reactive oxygen species presence in most massage. Okay, let's, let's hear about thiols and HSA. What are the implications there? Sure. So uh, the idea behind thiols and, and HSA is that um, there are uh, residues in proteins, uh, specifically cysteine and methionine, that contain sulfhydryl uh, residues, and, and we're really more concerned with cysteine. Um, in the presence of, of reactive oxygen species, or uh, what will happen is it'll lose uh, hydrogen, um, and these hydrogens will combine with the oxygen um, and form hydrogen peroxide. And then you have hydrogen peroxide that'll, that is unstable and will go on and form radical oxygen species, um, reacting with metal ions. Um, and then you get this uh, radical oxygen cycle that just causes, um, wreaks havoc on your beer. Um, and so the idea being that these thiols could come in and quench this reaction. Um, problem is that there isn't enough thiol present to actually regenerate this redox sink to quench the reaction. Um, and so it doesn't seem like you can get enough thiols into beer to, to stop this. 
You also mentioned polyphenols. There are some polyphenols that we want to minimize, but in this case, I assume you're talking about the type of polyphenols that are known to function as antioxidants. Correct. Um, and, and so we, we often just look at, at polyphenols as total polyphenol levels, um, but that's not the whole story. Um, and so we often describe, you know, prescribe a, a certain polyphenol level, total polyphenol level, and say if we're, we hit that target, then everything's fine. Um, but that may not be the case. Um, you know, the, there are different types of, of phenolic compounds that will make up your poly, total polyphenols in your beer. Um, so we need, we should be looking at this in a more, uh, refined way and starting to understand what monomers and, and, um, dimers we have present, um, and what polyphenols we have present and how this can actually affect flavor stability and, and the overall beer quality. Um, so you had, uh, Dr. Aaron and, and Dr. Yin on, uh, a couple weeks ago talking about freshness. Um, and they were looking at, uh, not just fan levels, but trying to get down into different amino acids, um, and how those different amino acids and the, and the ordered uptake affects flavor stability and, and Strecker degradations and, and flavor development. And I think we could probably say something similar with polyphenols, and it's not just total polyphenols, but the individual phenolics that are making up the total polyphenols is going to matter. Coming up. Just like if you were to cut up an apple and you uh, see it develop a, a brown color over time, you see polyphenol oxidation, that same thing is happening in your beer and your warts. And so warts will darken and you do see color development through oxidation. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, whose mission is simple, to help brewers craft the best beer possible. This is why BSG hops are sourced directly from growers and processed at their FSSC certified facility, giving you access to high quality and unique varieties like Cashmere, Comet, Triumph, Eldorado, plus many more. Discover a whole universe of hop sensory at bsgcraftbrewing.com slash hops. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. 
Shout out to Continental, a global supplier of brewery hoses. Their Extreme Flex Beverage Transfer Hose features pretzel-like flexibility for those tight bend connections. Raise a glass to its easy clean cover with a finish almost as smooth as your beer. Click the link in the show notes to find a distributor near you. Planning to attend CBC in Nashville? Pay me a visit at the Lupulin Exchange. We're booth number 744. I'd love to meet you, and I'll be giving away some awesome free t-shirts while supplies last. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Georgia presents an evening with Halfway Crooks and Dingaman's Malt, May 2nd in Atlanta. District Philadelphia's spring meeting will be at Tonewood Brewing in Barrington, New Jersey, May 19th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis has its spring meeting at Shell's Brewery in New Ulm, May 25th. District Rocky Mountain meets June 1st at Holidayly Brewing in Golden, Colorado. District Southern California meets June 3rd at Gamecraft Brewing in Laguna Hills. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 9th. District Michigan's Summer Social is July 8th at Fitzgerald Park and Grand Ledge. Master Brewers has teamed up with ASBC to put on a two-day raw materials symposium August 3rd and 4th in Bloomington, Minnesota. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. District Michigan's fall meeting will be at Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids October 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. back to the show. We've talked about the potential impact of HSA on unsaturated fatty acids, thiols, and polyphenols, which all make sense theoretically, but what's the practical outcome? I guess the question really is, how does a brewer know if if there's low-hanging fruit in regards to HSA in their brewery versus if this is the wrong rabbit hole to go down? That's a great question. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say whether there's anything with hot sideration in, in most beers. Um, it's scale obviously matters uh, when you're dealing on a, this on a small scale. Um, the surface area to volume is, is difficult to deal with. Um, we've got a little barrel and a half system here on campus, um, and I will say it, it it does matter on our scale. It's it's hard to exclude enough oxygen to 
to deal with some of these things. Um, but if you're brewing at a you know 60 barrel or 100 barrel or even a 200 barrel brew house, it, it's it's not much of an issue. I don't think you can get enough air into a system like that to, to cause issues. Um, so I, I think the first thing you do is you, you you look at your process. You you walk it backwards and forwards, and you look at where air can be getting in or, or um, where you're doing a good job of excluding air, um, and, and you start there. All right, very good. You also uh, suggest that laudering is faster when HSA is minimized. Why is that? Uh, this is this is fun. Um, so as I mentioned, we've got a, a barrel and a half system on campus, um, and we do have problems with with hot side aeration, hot side oxidation in our brew house. Um, the what we see is uh, teak formation. Um, and teak develops when you have these those sulfhydryl groups uh, in those um, proteins. They oxidize and they'll form disulfide bridges, and specifically the cysteine residues. Um, and those disulfide bridges come together, and you cause something called a, a gel protein. Um, and it's sticky and tacky, and they'll combine with uh, small starch molecules that survive the the malting process. Um, and you get this dough on top of your mash. Um, and in extreme cases, we get something that looks like a cap on top of our mash. Um, and it's impenetrable. Liquid does not flow through it. So you get uh, massive channeling and, and your louder times go up and your extraction goes down. Um, not good things. What about beer color and flavor? What do we know about the impacts there? Sure. So uh, when you oxidize warts the first things that are oxidizing are the, are those thiols um, and then you start oxidizing the polyphenols and so as we talked about um, the polyphenol levels will change over time um, not just the total polyphenol levels but the actual polyphenol the, the phenolic structures will change over time the the, the ratios will change just like if you were to cut up an apple and you uh, see that develop a, a brown color over time, you see polyphenol oxidation. That same thing is happening in your beer and your warts. And so warts will darken and you do see color development through oxidation. Um, and so warts will and beers will be paler if you minimize brew house oxidation. Um, there is, uh, in literature, you'll find that people say that if you oxidize these polyphenols, you also tend to get a more harsh or coarse flavor. Um, I have a hard time uh, dealing with a lot of the, the sensory stuff out there just because um, a lot of it's anecdotal and, and I don't think the, a lot of the sensory work that has been done historically is um, lends itself to the holds up to the scientific rigor we would like it to. Um, so it, a lot of that's anecdotal, um, but it is said that it does uh, lend a less coarse flavor, whatever that means. What are typically the biggest culprits of HSA in a modern in modern brew house equipment? Is it pump seals, mashing in, splashing during Vorloff, or something else? I, again, I think it depends on the scale and it depends on the age of your brew house. Um, you know, most modern brew houses are, are fairly well designed and to, to to minimize this. Um, but if you start looking at some of the the older equipment, um, it's this was not a thought. Um, you know, a lot of copper brew houses are going to lend copper ions that are going to lead to radical formations that are going to cause a lot of these reactions anyway. So how much of it really matters on that scale? Um, 
I think if you, you look at the process and you start, okay, with milling your malt, when you start with a 55-pound bag of malt and you mill it, it expands. What's, what's taking up the additional volume? It's typically air. And so now you're going to pour that into your, your mash tun and you're going to mix it with hot water. And so depending on how you, you know, if you're filling from the bottom, you're obviously going to get less air and introduced than you would if you're uh, splashing everything in from the top. So it all depends on, you know, can you redesign your, your, your mashing system? A lot of folks can't. So it's, you know, how do you, how do you deal with this? Can you purge the system with nitrogen or um, CO2? Possibly. Is there really the, the need for it? Maybe. Um, it's hard to say. Everybody's got to look at their own process and kind of understand what the impact's going to be for themselves. It's just, I, I would like people to understand that it, that it does matter and it is something that they should, should think about. should be in the back of your mind. Have you seen or heard of any modifications to uh, process or equipment that have dramatically reduced HSA? Uh, just you, you, like you yeah. mentioned your pilot system, yeah. for example. Is there any, any particular process change or modification to the equipment that, that you know, you've seen actually make a big improvement? Not yet. Uh, we're still playing with a few things. Um, and the fun thing about about this position and this this facility is that we we get to see a lot of of different of different brew processes, different recipes, and different ingredients. And um, anecdotally, uh, I I will say I see more or less teak formation when there's a bit of crystal malt in in the recipe um and so if you start reading through literature and and going back to uh, when you had uh, dr aaron and dr ian on they, they talked about melanoidins and and how they play into all of this and um radical formation and uh so it, it, it's a it's a complex matrix and it's hard to assign causation to any one thing um and so you really need to look at the whole process holistically and um go from there do you think teague teague formation is uh, one of the best indicators of hot side aeration uh no i would say it's probably the it's a great a good indication that you have way too much um I think earlier indicators would be those loss of thiols and, and color development through polyphenol oxidation. Um, those are going to be your, your first early indicators that you are seeing uh, this oxidation on the hot side. Um, if you are seeing teak formation, that, that definitely is an indication that you have, have too much air being introduced early in your process. <laughs> That was Joe Williams here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for links to learn more about hot side aeration. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Stop, 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 stop.